Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is off working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. You can go to the SoundHealthPortal.com and look at the campaigns. And the campaigns, if you just scroll down on the page now, they redesigned it so you can just scroll down on that page. And if you look at the current campaigns, you'll see that there's bio-diet, neuroplasticity, PTSD. There might, I'm not sure yet, because I, I didn't get there this morning. I'm not certain, but it may be possible that she has the uh, coronavirus software up so that you can do a as a campaign. If I can, I'll look and I'll put it in the show notes. So that you can go in, with any of those, you can go in with the campaigns. Those are free offerings. And you sign up for a free account just so they have a place to email your report. And you do two 45-second recordings. And the system will, once you start doing this, the system will walk you through the process of, okay, ready to record. And you talk for 45 seconds. And then it'll pause you and it'll have you do another 45-second recording. And then you'll choose the campaign you'd like to run, which could be, let's say, BioDiet. So you can look at states of balance or imbalance and what's going on in your body. If there is an imbalance, it'll give you information on that. And it does it by running, taking your vocal print or a vocal recording and running it through the software that Sherry's written and developed over the past 20 years and looking at the states of where things might not relate to each other well, meaning in the methylation cascade or how you're assimilating or just areas where there's states of imbalance. And it'll give you that information in report form. And so you'll do the two forty-five cent second recordings. You'll choose your campaign, and then you'll submit that. And usually within two to ten hours is sort of an average for me. You'll get a report back, which I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and reading, because a lot of information. And then if you'd like, you could take it to your healthcare practitioner. Perhaps if they were a practitioner like W. Gifford Jones, <laughs> they'd be open to this information. And you will, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, I, I'm so happy to see the soundhealthportal.com available now to us online everywhere because it makes it much easier than the days when we had to haul around a computer and do all sorts of stuff. The one addition I would add, and this is the perfect time for this because of everybody doing Zooms and meetups and because we're all mostly on lockdown, that there's a microphone called the Smart Go Mic by Samsung. And it's really, it's not that expensive. It's available at soundhealthoptions.com. And it just really improves the quality of your vocal recording. And it's also small and really handy so you can take it with you so that when you're out and you're visiting friends, if they have something you want to check, they can go right to the Sound Health portal. And or it's really great to have for all these video meetups we're doing because it improves your audio quality so you're not just shouting at your computer. It really makes quite a difference. And again, to learn more about the soundhealthportal.com, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on In the News, and there will be some recordings that Sherry has done where she's done a live on-air webinar, and you'll watch her do a workup and to see what it looks like in the process. It's really interesting to see the visuals of what the report does 
because Sherry has designed visuals now so you can pull up a chart and it'll just show you what's inflamed or not inflamed or I mean it's really it's amazing to see the visual of what it's what the intake is doing it's really great and this show after I hit end and you hear the outro music you can go back to soundhealthportal.com click on radio then click on Sound Health Radio, and you'll see the, whoops, my computer's going crazy. You'll see the, at the very top, there are now links for Stitcher and Pocket Cast, which if you click on either of those, they usually take about mm, a 30 to 45 minutes or about an hour to get the feed there. But you'll be able to find this show at the top of either of those lists, and then you'll find, I think they usually have about several months' worth of shows in that list. And the great thing about both of those is there's a way on Pocket Cast, you click on the three dots, and you'll be able to easily share the show. And the show with Dr. Gifford and his daughter, Diana Gifford, is really going to have a lot of relevant and long-term benefit information in it. Um, really, a, this is going to be fun. And also at the top of that list, or at the top of that page, you'll see the flyer for today's show. And there will be the link back to the show notes and the links to the books and more information about Dr. Gifford's works. It's, he's 96. He has an amazing stack of articles and columns, 18 years of articles on his website. I'm I'm quite quite a fan. With that, Dr. Ken Walker, who writes under the pseudonym of Dr. Gifford Jones MD, is a graduate of the University of Toronto and the Harvard Medical School. He trained in general surgery at Strong Memorial Hospital, University of Rochester, Montreal General Hospital, McGill University, and in gynecology at Harvard. His storied medical career began as a general practitioner ship surgeon and hotel doctor for more than 40 years he specialized in gynecology devoting his practice to the formative issues of women's health in 1975 he launched his medical column that has been published by national and local canada and u.s newspapers today the readership remains over seven million his advice column a solid dose of common sense and he never sits on the fence with controversial issues. He's the author of nine books, including The Healthy Barmaid, his autobiography, You're Going to Do What? What I Learned as a Medical Journalist, and 90 Plus and How I Got There. Many years ago, he was successful in a fight to legalize heroin to help ease the pain of terminal cancer patients. His fight at the time donated a half a million dollars to establish the Gifford Jones Professorship in Pain Control and Palliative Care at the University of Toronto Medical School. At 93 years of age, he repelled from the top of Toronto's City Hall, Dories, to raise funds for children with a life-threatening disease to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. His hobby is trap shooting. He's married to Susan and has four children and 12 grandchildren. Dr. Gifford Jones and Diana Gifford Jones joined us to talk about no-nonsense health naturally. 
The Natural Health Philosophy of W. Gifford Jones, M.D. Welcome, Dr. Gifford and Diana. And we're happy to be here. <laughs> Hello. We'd always, the technology always comes together eventually. <laughs> the miracle of science. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to start out with a slightly not well I'll just I'll just start out were you were you always a rabble rouser that's I mean really that's true were you always a rabble rouser when you were in your process of of getting your medical degrees and studying in school were you always that guy in class raising your hand what about this what about that or or was there something that occurred as you developed in your approach and practice as a surgeon no, I, I was a pretty normal guy when I was younger and uh, did all the usual things. But, no, I, I think really the transition, Richard, was when I when I became a medical journalist and, and also mm-hmm. earlier, earlier when I opened my practice and, uh, and realized that there were certain things going on that really shouldn't be going on. Too many people taking too many pills, you know, we, we, have, we have a nation of, of, of pillitis. And uh, so it, it really evolved over a period of time that 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 I ran into into roadblocks sometimes by my colleagues, and uh, for instance the, the heroin situation uh, that was maybe the the first one that really came along, and uh, I realized there had been heroin available in in Great Britain for 90 years, and I wrote a I wrote a New Year's resolution column. Uh, and I remember the, the local newspaper in Niagara Falls said, "Oh, you, you're going to you're going to get maybe about twelve people, you know, writing into the editor." They had twelve hundred people, and uh, that really that really got things going. And uh, there are a lot of lies uh, circulating about the uh, about the use of heroin and all of that things that were going to do to you. And uh, so that that was the one the one thing that really started me off, I guess. <laughs> I'm only laughing because, and you, I, I'll say this multiple times throughout the show. If you go to docgift.com/slash/articles, or actually just go to docgift.com, and then on the upper right-hand corner, the three lines, or as they like to call it, the hamburger. If you click on that, you'll see articles in the list, and there's 18 years of articles. I mean, it's an amazing research resource of reading, and the one about heroin really made me chuckle because you wrote that. I mean, that was in the early times of medicine where it's like, this guy's advocating for heroin? What? That's a, that was an amazing concept. Heroin for terminal cancer patients, Richard. No, I understand. Yes, but I mean, yes. just the, the negative connote that heroin had is what I'm coming from. You were suggesting legalization where everybody else is like, oh, my God, heroin. You know, so it was... The the interesting thing, uh, Richard, is that in Great Britain, they don't call it heroin. They call it diamorphine. And uh, that that sounds a lot better. (laughs) Heroin has got a bad connotation to it. Yeah. And, uh, but in in, in, in England, they, uh, you know, they give it to... uh, yeah, when I went, I did a uh, went over there for a couple of weeks and did research at the at the hospital in London and Edinburgh, and they give it to young children uh, in, in, who are burned, 
they give it to women in childbirth. Uh, they give it to people who have a, a heart attack. You know, when you're having a heart attack, you 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 think you're going to die, and you're also in pain, and that solves both of them. Uh, so that it's it's a well it's a well used drug there, uh, but used you know uh, quite uh, legally. And so it's a, it, it's because it's a more effective because you can use a lower quantity and get this uh, good effect more quick very quickly. Is that part of the benefit of using it? Well, it's 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 certainly uh, you know uh, more more powerful several times more powerful. And also, you can inject it into into uh, less volume into patients who are emaciated and dying of cancer. You know, they're, they're, you become pretty thin at times, and you don't have much to inject into. And right. so, it's a much more humane way. You can inject a, a, a larger amount of a powerful drug, but uh, but not as much as you would normally have to use with with morphine. Wow. Matter of fact, when I when I was when I was at the Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, making rounds with the nurses, I said, "Why why are you why are you giving uh, uh, you know diamorphine rather than morphine?" And the head nurse said to me, "You know, the children it, it relieves their pain more, and they tell me it makes it gives them a nice fuzzy feeling." And I thought, my God, if that's, that's the least we can do for kids, you know, dying in pain. That's an amazing idea. I had never heard it described as fuzzy, uh, but I think that's phenomenal. I had I'd done some when I uh, had my herb store. I got my degree as a master herbalist in the late 70s, let's say early 80s. Um, and I worked with an oncology nurse who was running a hospice in the in my area and i worked on a number of formulations with her using herbs and cannabis and other things for suppositories and so we also talked about the use of heroin and it was still you know they were still leaning toward morphine so it's just fascinating to me that you know it gives you a fuzzy feeling if you're in pain and and i've interviewed other uh, elizabeth dost is a cannabis expert also but runs hospice centers and the same thing of if people are dying, for God's sakes, what is the problem? I mean, that, that's a weird angle. Is, that, is, <laughs> you know, is that a medical view? I mean, people are dying, and they're like, no, we can't give them that? Wait, they're dying. One of the most laughable ones for, for the reasons for not giving it was presented to me over and over again. Well, we don't want to make them addicted. My God, they're going to be dead in a few days. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow. So that's where where a lack of common sense comes in. And well, that's a whole show right there. So I'll move along. <laughs> that just blows my mind. Like, really? 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 Uh, that's mind-blowing. Um, in your time, in your many decades of being in medicine, what are some of the shifts that you've observed? I guess one of the most uh, important ones from a from a surgical standpoint is uh, the use of laparoscopy wow. uh, and uh, the fact that you can do a number of surgical procedures now uh, by by just making a couple of little cuts in the abdomen and, and sticking a couple of instruments in and performing sometimes very ma- major operations so that is, I think that's the big one um 
There are others, I think of that, course. But. Right. I, I think that's a, that is an amazing idea. I I know people who have had, um, I don't know, let's say a hernia procedure, which is a separate conversation. But you know, in the old days, it was a you had a slice and you had something in your a big slice in your groin, and then you were stitched back up. And now it's a laparoscopic procedure. Often, the idea of laparoscopic yeah. procedures is that is true. One of the most amazing of the procedures that I am even aware of. And you're in and, and out the same day, you know. Just uh, no right. hospitalization, just a really an outpatient procedure. That's amazing. And in a slightly different vein. When did you observe us become a nation of pill poppers, of quick fixing? And I don't mean that in an addictive sense. I just mean it seems like there's every, I don't know, I was watching TV last night and I saw some ad was, I don't know what it was talking about. Maybe the happy blue pill, something where it was, where you have the attorney at the end read as fast as they possibly can all the possible other effects that it could have. You know, stroke and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like frightening. But we seem to have become a nation of is it is it the is it the commercialization and the advertisers making the patients go to the doctor saying I demand this? Well, I think it's that, a combination of things. Okay. Uh, maybe a combination of things, Richard. It's I think we've in part become a nation of wimps. You know, we just cannot stand any <laughs> little pain at all. And so we have become a patient of whims, and 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 it's it's a colitis is uh, is big business, you know. <laughs> you're, 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 there are billions of dollars made uh, of getting people to take their their medication, and uh, it's it's tragic because it. Uh, I think people forget that the, uh, for instance, the incidence of people being on uh, renal dialysis has gone way up year after year. And it's, I think it's largely because they're they're taking so many prescription drugs that their body was really not meant to take, and they're ruining their 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 kidneys and and sometimes their liver, and they don't realize the extent that they are damaging their bodies by uh, by constantly taking a pill. Yeah, and creating further stress. It seems like. A lot of times, the other effects. I, the reason I, I use that term, other effects versus side effects, is because it was when I had listened to a lecture by Andrew Weil, where he yes. said there are there aren't side effects; they're all effects. They're not like, oh, that's something extra you get. No, they're all effects, and you have to choose what effects you want. And and there's a lot of stress in a lot of these drugs. Sir William Osler, one of the great physicians in in North America, once said the the the, the greatest problem is, is is people taking pills, and the great and the and the main factor of it being a doctor should be trying to, to persuade people not to take these pills. Um, it um, it's amazing, you know, when when you when you hear people. Uh, uh, taking this medication on from television, particularly, um, and you hear the the, the the complications that they list at the end. You know, why would you ever think of taking the pill in the first place? Well, that's always my thinking when I see the ad and they're dancing in the park. I'll blame the blue pill. Uh, they're yes. dancing in the park and they're happy and everybody's you know suddenly festive. 
But then they list off the gassy, loose stool, bleeding something. And I just think, really? I'm not looking for any of those effects. I'm not looking for But you know, Richard, I'd like to ask you a question. Where is my daughter? <laughs> yes, no, no, no. I was about it. No, she was my next uh, question. No, I, I, we don't I want had... to. We don't want to neglect you. Better stop talking. You're the smart All one right. of the family. <laughs> exactly. So, Diana, why, why did you think now was the time for this book? Why did you want to? I I know you've worked with your father for a long time. Well, actually, let me back that up even further. You're in the medical field in a different arena. Was your daughter, was your father an influence in that? A- and did you know your father was a rabble rouser? All of the above. I mean, I first of all, hello, and it's lovely to be participating. And, you know, the reason I want to do what I'm doing is because there's so many people that don't want my father to stop doing what he's doing. And he's 96 right. years old. So, you, you you can't imagine the fan base that this man has developed over the years. And I'm sure many of them are listening right now because I circulated that we'd be doing the show on social media. So I'd like to say hello to all those people, but I did not want to follow my father into medicine um, only because I am definitely not good. Like he is at the bedside. And I couldn't imagine having a career where I had to take care of sick people, but that said, I have really enjoyed being involved in health policy, and I've loved watching my father work over the years. And this opportunity to be working with him now is, uh, you know, it's terrific fun for both of us. It's new. It's fun for both of us in the sense that it's new to collaborate together. But um, it's also a wonderful journey for, I think, my father back through the course of his career and in, in, in sort of educating me about what his philosophy has been, and that's what the book was all about. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great fun uh, time for our readers, too, who are watching a transition that is an unusual one from a, a fellow that's well-known to many, many people to uh, someone who's not a medical doctor but is working on health policy and thinking about health in broader terms, about the determinants of health and how really prevention and the avoidance of illness is what we really ought to be focusing on. Okay, you said it's almost as if you knew I was going to ask this question. Uh, this is great. Uh, I, I can't remember because I've listened and read so much about uh, what I will, as I will refer to you now as Doc Giff, so much that I can't remember if I heard you say this or if I read you say this. You talk about the, in real estate, they say location, location, location. And you say for a healthy and happy longevity, you say prevention, prevention, prevention. Now, this is such a positive, common-sense idea. Would you talk about that, please? Are you you, you directing that to me? Yes, I (laughs) am. You are. You are. Prevention, prevention, prevention. And, uh, in fact, rule number number one in, in, in finance is don't lose capital. And rule number two is never forget rule number one. And the same thing in, in medicine. Rule number one is prevention and, and a good lifestyle. And rule number two is never forget rule number one. It's You've got to say that over and over and over again because uh, really in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the matter of longevity, say, uh, you're lucky to have uh, good genes. But uh, 
good genes don't won't give you a long good life unless you also follow a good lifestyle and also have a lot of luck. You know, I think the uh, main, main, the three main determinants of a long life is good genes, good lifestyle, and and just try to be lucky. You know, not not develop a, a serious disease early in life as some poor people do and uh, and have their life cut short by something is totally beyond their control. Good to be lucky. Mm-hmm. Good to come from a good gene pool. You must have come from a yes. great gene pool. Gene pool. I mean, you've you've taken, you've always taken care of yourself, but you must have come from a great gene pool because here we are talking about this. That you know, you're you're in your ninety seventh year, <laughs> which is amazing. yes. My mother lived to ninety four, and my father to eighty seven or eighty three rather, and uh, he would have lived longer if he had exercised more. And it stopped smoking, uh, which was a, a lifelong habit of his. But it actually, I, I, that wasn't what killed him. He, he he had a fall and developed a fractured hip, and five days later he was dead. So he he had pretty, pretty good genes too. Wow. So Diana, this means you're going to be you come from a good gene pool, and you've had your father's philosophy of prevention, prevention, prevention in your ear since you were a little girl, this means that you're going to probably live potentially a really long time as well. Well, what do you think? it is about luck, but I think the message that we need to emphasize is that luck is also something we can't do much about. But there are some things we can do things about, and the problem is that not enough of us are doing them including individuals, but also, I would say, sort of societal um, forces that we allow to, you know, continue to influence our lives in an unhealthy way. And now is a really good moment for us to make some changes to those things. But individuals can do things like eat well, eat, uh, eat, eat with moderation, something that we have not been very good at doing in North America, and now you can see happening elsewhere around the world. Obesity has become a major problem and that is not a uh, factor that is outside of our control for most people not everyone for most and exercise is something we can all do surrounding ourselves with people we enjoy being with socializing um, ensuring that we're taking care of the vulnerable members of our society these are all things that we could be doing better and we're not and I think that's the big message my father has been sharing over the years and he gives you ample numbers of these messages in his writing each week there's no shortage of them so just from what you said, I see that you didn't fall far from the tree because you're advocating the radical concept of people actually participating in their own health care. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you have to. You have to. You know, you shouldn't be going to the doctor. You should try not to go to the doctor. So don't expect the doctor to be the solution to your health. The doctor will be there if you have a crisis. But we're all needing to educate our young people from the start so that in my dad did do this, you know, I remember when I cut my knee or something like that, he would always, you know, come and touch the sore spot. And rather than giving me some medication, he would say, now, doesn't that feel better when I touch it? And he sort of, as a young person, as a young child, when my father would touch it and say better, I felt better. You know, it was something just psychological reinforcement that it's not the end of the world. You don't need pain medication to take care of this problem. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's the kind of thing I think we need to be doing a little bit more. We, we need to um, think about how we feed our kids and, and model good behaviors and think about how we're spending time and model, uh, you know, outdoor time, family time, you know, reflective time, all these things. We've sort of lost touch with some of these basic core principles. And again, this is one of these things that I, because I've, I've studied so much, I can't remember if I heard or read, read that Doc Gibbs said this, but it's that you've said that it would often be better for the kids to be eating the cereal box rather than the cereal. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, say I would, more about I, that, please. I, I was obviously being a little facetious uh, when I said that, but the point is, you know, some cereals are, are half sugar. And uh, I remember talking with the uh, meeting once with the Minister of Health, and we got chatting about this, and and, and he he wasn't aware of the fact that some cereals were half sugar, or that if you have a can of, you know, Coke, uh, any any soft drink, sometimes you've got six teaspoonfuls of sugar in it. Now, that's not good for kids, so that really it would be better for them to eat the box. Um, and uh, that, so that really, that is these all the things that Diana is talking about now are, are lifestyle situations, and uh, they're not always be you know there's a lot of luck with it in life, but 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 certainly some of these things are in your own control, particularly say say obesity. Um, and type 2 diabetes, we have an epidemic of type 2 diabetes now, which is all, all, all lifestyle. You know, when I, went to the, when I graduated from the Harvard Medical School, uh, 95% of the people who had diabetes had type 1 diabetes. Now, they're just, just, you know, just bad genes, bad luck. Now, uh, it's 95% of obesity is due to, uh, or 95% rather, of, of type 2 diabetes is strictly due to obesity. And, uh, you know, our genetic structure hasn't changed that much over the years. So the, the genes are the same, but people are just, you know, eating the wrong foods, the wrong calories. And uh, here we have type 2 diabetes, which is epidemic around the world in every, in every country. And that, of course, leads to uh, uh, 50% of the people who have uh, uh, type 2 diabetes uh, have a, have a, eventually have a coronary. So it's a pretty fatal course that they're on. And uh, it's all a matter of you know, choices. You've got to push yourself away from the table. And you really should count. You really should count calories. And I think one of the most important instruments in the world right now is not the the CT scans and X-rays that people are getting. It's the bathroom scale. If everyone would buy a bathroom scale and step on it every night, you wouldn't have that creeping obesity and all the problems that you know are associated with it. It's radical. <laughs> I mean, what's your... not, not, not very radical. All you got to do no, is I know. Buy, the bloody, buy, buy the bloody scale and step on it. You know? Right. And, and, don't, and don't, don't, don't tweet. I have patients who are, tell me, oh, I know when I'm getting, uh, I'm getting uh, obese. I, 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 my clothes are getting tight. Well, by that time, they've, they've gained you know, 30 or 40 pounds. 
So that that they they they, they humans always want to deceive themselves. <laughs> and and I'm going to toss this question out to both of you because I think you both have observations. Do you think that with particularly with type two diabetes, what when did it? I don't. I didn't, I'm having a hard time formulating the question because it has to do with. So you get type two diabetes, you start developing characteristics. You have high blood sugar, you have, you know, imbalances uh, going on, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, "Here, take this or shoot up." Versus the doctor saying, "Have you tried changing your diet? Stop eating stuff out of boxes. How about eating some vegetables?" Is, is that can we? Is that being reengaged? Is that more your the lean? that you approached when you became more naturopathic in your approach? Where is that? You know, you've just said it the way it should be said. Uh, That's the way it happens. And, in fact, what um, conventional medicine uh, is is doing a pretty poor job of looking after something like that. You know, it it costs about $14,000 a year to look after one diabetic patient. And when you figure that... uh, uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, one, one in 13 North Americans have type 2 diabetes now. And if you're over the age of 65, one in four. Now, if you start multiplying all those millions of people times 14,000, you know, it's going to bankrupt our healthcare system. And um, it, it really is tragic because it, it, it's, not the, it's not just diabetes type 2 diabetes is the complications, Richard, of, of type 2 diabetes. You're more likely to go blind. You're likely to, more likely to have a, a leg amputated because of uh, atherosclerosis and a decreased blood supply to the uh, extremities. You're more likely to go into renal failure. Now, it's all these expensive, expensive complications that, that uh, are, are the aftermath of longstanding diabetes that really is going to bankrupt the healthcare system both in Canada and in, and in the United States. So um, you know, it's a pretty tragic deal. I have a young friend, young meaning he's probably now in his early 40s, but somewhere in his early 30s, and I'd watched him do it and I'd try to get him to not do it, but he was, well, there's some particular power drinks that he liked to drink and they had a high level of sugar in them. And eventually, due to his diet and lifestyle, he had to have part of his leg amputated because of diabetes, too. And it blew my mind. I mean, he was a really smart guy. It wasn't like he – it was just the weirdest thing to me that that was the solution. You know, he got got himself into a state of it had to get to there. And and I'm not even talking about the cost. I'm just – I'm still stunned to this day when I see him. That really, that was, we don't really talk about it because it's not something he wants to converse about. But it just blows my mind that it can get to that level that people allow that to happen. It just is mind boggling. Yes, and it's, well, it's, 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 you go ahead, Diana. Well, Dad, thanks. I was just going to add that there is a wonderful, I mean, there is a little hope on the horizon here, and it's. It's in the natural health food stores that are struggling in our economy because they aren't the big super box stores, but there are in almost every community across this country and your country in the United States and Canada, there are small boutique natural health food stores that are stocked with beautiful choices for people to eat natural foods. And 
um, not produced in big industrial operations. And I think my father and I have a good time each year, twice a year, the, uh, you know, the National Health Food Association Conference, where we are seeing so many businesses, um, you know, building up uh, a, a wonderful array of options for people. And I think the challenge is that we as consumers aren't frequenting those stores enough. We're still getting in our cars and driving to the suburban Walmarts and superstores where we can buy industrial produce. And I think, I don't know what you're seeing, Richard, but we're certainly seeing here in North that the natural health food stores are currently undergoing a, a boom because people don't want to go to the big stores. They're happy to go to their local, local stores. And I think if, if we can get people to do that more consistently, that's part of the solution. Well, also, and I'm, the nice, I'm a, a nice I'm a, thing, Diana. Nice thing, ahead. Diana. Nobody, nobody ever died from going into a health food store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at the people that get into trouble with prescription drugs, there are tens of thousands that get into a difficulty year after year, and uh, and uh, health food stores are perfectly safe. Well, and I'm also a, a big fan of farmers markets. I really like seeing dirt under the nails of the people that grow my food, uh, you know, and establishing a relationship with them and eating seasonally. I just think farmers markets, I happen to be in California where there are a lot of farmers markets, not so much year round, but kind of close to year round, where you can go and the produce was picked that morning or the night before, and you can go and meet the farmers and even now some of the farmers markets for instance is one on sunday mornings here that's quite large where everybody's doing respectful distancing and wearing masks and as controlled as can be it's outdoors which is also helpful but you actually go and meet the farmer and they sh- say you know this was really this bok choy was picked this morning and how much more vital can the food be than getting it directly from the farmer so i i really enjoy that even getting meats, uh, grass-fed, grass-finished meats from around here. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can be gotten from farmer's markets, which is a step up to me. I mean, I'm not anti-health food store. I'm pro-health food store, that's for sure. But I also like the farmer's markets because you're really you're supporting local growers and you're getting amazing product typically because it's just been picked. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that unless you're going to grow it yourself. Yeah, and growing it yourself is something that a lot of people have forgotten how to do, too. And we've urbanized in the past 20, 30 years uh, significantly in the world as well. And when you urbanize, you don't bring your local backyard or backyard garden along with you. Although, if we were innovative, we might be able to encourage a little bit more about gardens. Um, and should that, and it is uh, once they realize how much they can grow in 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 uh, in Canada. It's hard in the winter, of course, but in the summertime, even a small garden box will produce lots of uh, fresh vegetables for you to eat right, right at home. So we need to do that too. Well, in Utah, also have a, a small box. Uh, well, or a garden box out on your back deck or, you know, somewhere on the porch, even if you live in an apartment where you grow herbs 
and adding herbs, fresh herbs to your food is, I mean, they have benefits. Being an herbalist, they have benefits. Along with the fact that they're fresh and they have great oils and flavors and it's a really easy thing to do. Most herbs are pretty hardy. Um, and it's really, it's another area where, as you say, it's it's a simple thing, but it's adding another level of participating in our own health. And plus, I am also, I will admit, uh, a big fan of having your hands of the earth. I think that's tremendously beneficial always. Um, I want to ask, I want to refer to an article, uh, doctor, that's on your, under articles. You wrote a great article on March 28, 2020. And the title of the article is, Stress Won't Kill You, But Your Reaction to It Might. I just think that's such a great subject. Yes, and you're perfectly right. It's it's the stress, the overstress that that kills a lot of people, and of course now with the with the coronavirus amongst us, it's even even more so. But you know the 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 sad thing about stress is that. When, when the um, years ago, when you know, in, uh, when the uh, plane struck the uh, the, uh, the World Center in, in New York, it, it you know, we're getting back to being wimps. Uh, you 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 would think you would say, well, you know, we're, we can we can tolerate that, but the, the drug prescriptions for antidepressant drugs went up by forty percent. That that's the kind of problem you're running into. You uh, uh, there, there should not be that reaction, and uh, but but certainly you're right that that, that stress increases uh, uh, your blood pressure and you've got hypertension and heart disease and so forth. It, it, it's a you know it's a bad bad scenario. Well, in the, I, one of the my observations from a bunch of interviews, and I and also somewhat from your article, is that when we get into a state of fear. And we're constantly sending that message from our mind. It, it goes back to the old adage of our our brain doesn't know the difference about us thinking about the cyber-tooth tiger and really seeing the cyber-tooth tiger. So if we get into that state of, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, pretty soon our body begins to be in a state of fear all the time. And it's really hard on the system, isn't it? I mean, isn't, it, isn't stress really one of those corrosive things that can undermine – our whole system. Well, the problem is it's hard to measure, Richard. Um, uh-huh. uh, but but we do know that uh, people who are under stressful conditions have more coronary uh, coronary attacks, more hypertension, and uh, and really uh, the uh, it's uh, it again gets back to lifestyle and, and trying to to. Uh, uh, talk yourself into some degree of sanity and say, I'm not, this is not going to happen to me. But, you know, we're living in, in a stressful world uh, in, in so many ways. I'm afraid that uh, you either have to, uh, uh, you know, take it as it is and, and do the best you can. I mean, that's and not a very... For, and uh, go for a walk in nature. Well, yeah. yes, yes. Do, do something. Exercise. Um, find a hobby you like. Uh, uh, find a companion you like, you know, find uh, something that you you can do useful in this life and uh, and, and, and uh, not not uh, 
go to bed worrying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's that. Um, there was another. Now we're going to dive into the section talking about, I'll say it, COVID-19. But we're going to back into it because you, I want to talk to you about you've been an there's a great article again another article uh in your article section on dotgift.com uh one of my favorite articles favorite is in quotes because the subject is tricky is 10 cents a dance or 20 cents to fight the virus so if you go to let me let me say right here that if you go to dotgift.com and click on articles and search for covid-19 uh, the doctor has written a number of really good articles all around COVID, but I just thought this was a key note because you've been such an advocate of vitamin C for a long time. Um, so please let's dive into vitamin C and the coronavirus. Yes, I wrote, I wrote that article, 10 cents a dance and 20 cents for vitamin C, uh, because, you know, uh, you know the tremendous amount of uh, TV uh, uh, personalities who have been talking about the coronavirus for for weeks now, and yet not one of them. I have not heard one individual uh, mention the the benefits of vitamin C, and uh, it goes it goes back, you know, to people just have not read 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 history, Richard. Uh, back in 1950. There was a doctor, Dr. Frederick Klenner, who was a family doctor in the in North Carolina, who was given 60 patients with polio to, to treat. And that was a great, 1949 to 50 was a great polio epidemic. And uh, he gave them all 100,000 milligrams of intravenous vitamin C. And of those 60 patients, diagnosed definitely with polio, uh, zero be developed paralysis. Absolutely none of them. And, you know, that, that should have uh, sent headlines around the world that here we're treating intravenous vitamin C and they're curing polio, curing all these children. And uh, it, 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 didn't, it just been collecting dust. And if you ask the average doctor right now that uh, can uh, vitamin C cure polio, they'd, they'd laugh at you. But anyway, the reason I sent you the article 10, 20 cents uh, uh, for uh, 10 cents a dent, 20 cents to cure yourself from uh, the coronavirus, is that there, there was a, about 1994, there were a group of patients suffering from pneumonia and, and dying of pneumonia of, a, of the flu and they were given 200 milligrams of just, which is a tricky you know, small little dose of vitamin C and of that group it, it decreased the mortality of influenza by 80% now that's another statistic that, that's collecting dust and so that um, when I wrote that column, I thought it, I thought it would get a, a, a good play with, with, the, with, the, you know, with the infectious disease experts and medical health officers that would be on, on TV night after night, but it was never mentioned. And uh, it, wow. it's a great tragedy because we could have decreased the number of people developing uh, the coronavirus if all they did was, say, take 
1,000 milligrams of vitamin C three times a day and build up your immunity, uh, you'd be way ahead of the game. So that was the reason for the column. And <laughs> I don't want to raise anybody's blood pressure, but why? Why, why do you think people aren't talking about vitamin C? I feel like the same way you do in that I've been for months now since this started. I've been interviewing people about supporting the immune system, and vitamin C seems foundational to me. I'm just a, you know old herbalist over here, and it's just, I can't believe people aren't talking about it. Do you have a sense of why not? Well, I think maybe in part it's big pharma. Uh, big pharma could be talking about it, but you know you don't make any money selling vitamin C because you can't patent vitamin C, and that's one of the big problems. Uh, if you can't patent something, can't make any money out of it, uh, it's not going to be uh, talked about uh, too much. But it, it, it's so it's so basic to uh, to what we're talking about that vitamin C has been for years. Uh, not only uh, beneficial to uh, patients who uh, are, uh, have infections, but it's also in, important, you know, for coronary vascular disease. Uh, if you take uh, uh, 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day, you can reverse atherosclerosis in coronary arteries. And if you take 4,000 milligrams a day, you're not going to get atherosclerosis in coronary arteries. And uh, that, that information, again, is collecting dust. So um, <laughs> we, we need no, more programs like we're on today to talk about it, Richard, to uh, get this information across to the laity. Well, and this leads me to a, a product that you recommend uh, called Medici Plus, which I think is awesome. Hard to get in America so far, but I know that's going to change. Um, but talk about the Medici Plus. I think that's a great formula. Well, I got involved in that because when I was 74, uh, Richard, I had a coronary. And uh, my, all my cardiologists said that if I don't take cholesterol-lowering medication, I'll be dead in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I had interviewed Linus, Dr. Linus Pauling, who is not a doctor, he's a brilliant biochemist, uh, two Nobel Prizes in biochemistry. And uh, he, he told me uh, years ago that uh, one of the reasons for uh, the increase in coronary disease and heart attacks uh, was a, a lack of vitamin C, because humans do not make vitamin C. If you have a dog, the dog will manufacture um, uh, uh, 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C day after day after day, but we, we actually make zero because in a, in a genetic mishap, uh, eons and eons ago, we lost the ability to manufacture it. And uh, so that we live in a, in, a, in a low state of vitamin C uh, under normal, normal conditions. But at any rate, when he told me that, I, uh, and Linus Pauling was taking 20,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily, I decided I would just take half the amount. And for the last 22 years now, I have been taking 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C religiously day after day after day. But I had to swallow 30 pills. Uh, and... Uh, so that about four or five years ago, I ran into the president of a small pharmaceutical company. And when he heard what I was doing, 
he said, you know, I, I think we could make a powder of vitamin C and, and uh, stop you from having to swallow 30 pills a day. And this is where, 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 when MediC Plus was born. And it's, it's one of the better-selling uh, vitamin C's in, in Canada now, but not, not easily available in, in the United States. So that, that's, that's the story. And it's, it has um, magnesium, as I recall. I don't have any in front of me, but as I recall, it has magnesium and lysine in it. And does the magnesium help buffer the – because a lot of people – well, people who know about it are afraid of vitamin C because of the bowel tolerance issue. Does the magnesium help counterbalance that? It, it buffers the, the, the vitamin C. But, you know, uh, the amount – the amount of uh, vitamin C is, uh, and the acidity of it is less than one sixth of an orange, so that wow. uh, it really, it really, really doesn't. Uh, I think people, when they start taking a medication, they they start thinking, mm, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe something can. Uh, I won't feel quite uh, well. I have a complication. But there's, there's no way that uh, the, the small amount of vitamin C can up, upset, uh, upset the stomach to any extent. And if, if, you, if you do feel it's making you a little acid, all you do is put a, a pinch of the baking soda in it, and that'll stop, stop that problem. Right. And one of the things, what I, as you as you say that, what I think is kind of amusing is that here we are back to that commercial that I have in my mind about gassy, loose stools, bowels, blah, 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 medication. You know, that's okay as, a, as an effect from a medication. We accept that because, oh, this is something that whatever. Whereas vitamin C, I've, I've, I feel like a wimp because I'm only taking 10,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C. So now I want to bump up my vitamin C. If you do pump it up, Richard, remember you, you, if you pump it up too much uh, quickly, you, you, will, we, you will get diarrhea. Right. So that you have to do it, have to do it slowly, and, and then you, you get the bowel tolerance, and then you just back off from that. Right. Right, and that's, I, that's, it took me a while to get up to 10 grams a day, but it's just a lifestyle for me. I just I've been doing that for a long time, so it's just a thing. So now I'll just slowly ramp up to twenty and live to be, you know, ninety six and still thank you. So I think And I'm it's better to take it's better to take it three times a day because vitamin right. C is water soluble and every time you urinate you lose a little bit. Right. And that's one of the things that I think people forget about is since it is water soluble, the worst thing that happens if you take too much vitamin C, well there is the bowel tolerance. But once you get over that is that you might have expensive urine, or you might put vitamin C into the water table. Oh, my. Uh, you know, there's an effect I'm okay with. It may be expensive urine, but it's a, it's, it's a, a, a very cheap uh, uh, life insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> Cheaper than regular life insurance, but that's another show. And yes. do you think we need to do? Do we need to get fancy with vitamin C? That I see a lot of people talking about something called liposomal vitamin C. Is that so do we need that? You really don't need it. But you, if 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 you get a serious infection and you do and you're do have a, no possibility of getting intravenous vitamin C, liposomal vitamin C is a stronger vitamin C that gets into the cells easier than than the oral than the uh, regular ascorbic acid 
Okay. But, is it, but, it, but, but lipospheric or liposomal vitamin C is, is you know, fairly expensive. So yes, you really okay. don't need it. Okay. But it would be handy to have a bottle around in case there is some sort of thing you want to really hit if you're not yes, able if to I was travel, If I was traveling and I was totally uh, unable to get any uh, uh, help from, from any, any intravenous vitamin C, and I had a box of that with me, I could take a, uh, a lot of that and build up my, uh, my uh, blood level very, very quickly uh, within, within really 12 hours, and it could be life-saving. And especially if, you, if, if for some reason you happen to end up in a hospital, I recommend everybody pump up on vitamin C immediately. I recently visited a, a friend of mine who ended up hospitalized and ultimately misdiagnosed, but that's a whole other thing. And I was trying to slip her vitamin C, like, come on. And she was, she knows me. She knew that I was doing it because I, you know, know people like you. Uh, and she was an advocate for it. But one of her nurses was like, what are you taking? Have you, has a doctor approved that? And it's like, it's vitamin C. Are you kidding me? It's stunning. And, and 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 if it does cause diarrhea, if you have to take large amounts, it's better to sit in the toilet than be under a tombstone. <laughs> That's a T-shirt I would wear. That is such a T-shirt I would wear. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Um, I want to ask you about. I'm I'm surprised to find we're almost to the end. I do want to ask you about something else that I see that you've written about called citronol which I had not heard of, and I think I, there are a bunch of people that I immediately emailed that article to. Would you talk a bit about citronol? Well, citronol is a um, – uh, it, it lowers, lowers the, uh, the um, cholesterol level, and it's much more safer than when taking cholesterol-lowering medication. It's really a combination of citrus fruits and um, – it, it uh, increases the uh, the good cholesterol, decreases the bad cholesterol, and it works by the, the uh, decreasing the oxidation of the bad cholesterol, and it decreases inflammation in the in the in the coronary coronary arteries, and it helps to also oil the platelets. So it, it's a very safe medication and. Uh, uh, one which I've, uh, I've recommended to, to many patients who uh, want to get off cholesterol-lowering medication. And and would they need to taper, or can they? Because their doctor, of course, is going to be opposed to them getting off of cholesterol medications. There does seem to be, I. This seems to be a, a thing that now, when you get somewhere into your sixties, I'm not sure when exactly it happens. But the doctor just automatically like sees you come in, sees your age, and starts checking off the medications that you should be taking. So that during the times that recently in the past few years when I've gone to the doctor just for a general test or checkup or something, they're like, oh, are you taking this? Are you taking that? Are you... And I'm taking nothing. And they're always like, what? Yes. Well, there's a large number of the North American population now who are taking cholesterol-lowering medication. And that's really another story because it, it's, uh, I, I, I think it's, uh, the, the use of cholesterol-lowering drugs is possibly one of the most uh, un, unethical and uh, less and, and dangerous experiments that have been really uh, foisted on, on, on humanity. Uh, it's uh, causing uh, many co 
complication. And, and really, in the end, uh, the people who are in long-term cholesterol-lowering medication uh, are very prone to develop diabetes. And mm. if you develop diabetes, you've got half a you've got a 50% chance of developing a coronary attack and dying. So that really it, it's, um, uh, I, I, I would never ever want any of your listeners to go off cholesterol-lowering medication, but I would never take it. That's very well done, doctor. That was great. I may use that very same thing. That is excellent. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great way of phrasing it. That's really excellent. Um, I'm stunned to find we're at that time uh, when I want to remind people to go to docgif.com, click on the bars at the upper right-hand corner, click on articles. Uh, you can also go there and find this most recent book. He has a bunch of books. You are prolific. Wow. Uh, especially the articles. I just think the articles, I just want to sit down with a cup of tea and just read articles. Uh, but you can also go there and find uh, the most recent book by Diana Gifford-Jones, No-Nonsense Health Naturally, The Natural Health Philosophy of W. Gifford-Jones, M.D. Um, thank you so much. We may have to schedule again soon because you and I have other things. Mm-hmm. I have so many My things. My pleasure. So many things. And thank you, thanks. Diana. Thank, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Both My pleasure, too. All right. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You, too. Bye-bye. Diana, are you still there? <laughs>